0: and welcome back to Ryan's Real Irish Podcast. What a gorgeous day it is outside and hello to everyone of my followers over in America, Ireland and God knows where, wherever you are in the world we want to say a big hello to you and hope you're keeping safe. Also folks, our next episode is, uh, there is someone famous, with a famous face, coming on to our next episode who will be joining me so our competition once again is open. If you want the chance to join us on the podcast all you have to do is like and share our posts, and you'll be in with the chance, and this man that's coming on is well known, and he's very famous face. But folks, this is a special edition of a podcast, and it affects so many people, uh, more the older generation. This is all about the mother and baby homes, a crisis that happened in Ireland years ago, and it started in... Wait, I need... 1922 to 1980, or ninety-eight, a span of 76 years. And this is where people nowadays, the older generation, some of these people don't know their parents and don't know actually who they are. So I'm joined now in a studio, well, I should say in my kitchen, but it's kind of our studio for today, Mary. I'm joined by Miss Mary Doran, who was a victim of these mother and baby homes. Good morning to you, Mary. How are you morning, keeping?
1: Brian.
0: Are you doing well? I'm
1: fine, thank you.
0: That's very good. Mary, so with this mother and baby home crisis that you witnessed firsthand yourself, and I apologize that you had to witness it, and I could not imagine the impact this has had. But, like, so just tell me a bit about, personally about yourself, what it was like growing up in these mother and baby homes, being fostered and stuff.
1: Um, Okay, Ryan. uh I was born the 2nd of March, 1945, in the county home in Ennis County, there, okay? And uh, this, uh, that, uh, I was there for about three years, never knew my mother, she kind of sent away from the home, you understand, and never got to know her or anything like that, so I was there from 1945 until 1948, when I was fostered out by a very old woman, she was in her 70s. And I don't know why she was able to foster me, but in them days they didn't seem to. The government didn't seem to care about them things. They just fostered them out, and that was like you know. So that's the story on that. So I was there. Went to start school in nineteen. Well, when I was four years of age, so probably the following year anyway, okay? So yeah. And then um, yeah, I was uh, in school for about ten or eleven years then so. and then my foster mother which was in her seventies got very ill which meant went meant I went back into the county home again. Jeez. And I was there for another well, practically another year and missing school and everything and I was kinda of coming up to get back out to do my primary search in them days so I got back out anyway, and she came out of hospital again, and she was with me for another while like, you know, so I got to do my primary search, and then I was 13 years of age doing my primary search, so then after that, she got really very, very ill, so I had to go back into the county home again, because I was underage, and um, that type of thing, so that was fine then, Um What happened then after that, her her son came from County Donegal to take me out of the County home in Ennis and um, to bring me up to Donegal and where I went back to school again and finished my education and that type of thing. In the meantime, um, I hadn't, uh, well I hadn't a sense I suppose really because I was still very young to go looking for my birth mother. Yeah. But as the years went on, I did start looking for my birth mother and, um, through social welfare, social, uh, social, was very nice, and up here in Kildare. And they all looked, well, they said they looked, I don't know, but it came back with no results to me anyway, I had the papers to prove that they kind of came to, up against a brick wall, you know that type of thing? Yeah. So, um, I, I was getting on a years, good and done it as it's saying there, and, uh, then can really go to Dublin, I was alone, like, I don't know, what. would I have any brothers or sisters or anything out there? This is it, I don't know who I am. This is the problem. It's just not with me, it's all the other women and men out there as well, that suffered from these places and suffered worse than I suffered, you understand me? As I was saying to you, Ryan, and I'm not just doing this for myself, I'm doing this for the, sorry, for all the uh, women and men out there. Our judges suffered from that as well. And uh, sorry, now I'm getting upset a bit, but uh, it's just not me, it's everybody, uh, all these men and women out there want answers from the government in the States. We want answers, we just, like, the States is to blame for all, all of this, no matter how you look at it. And what are they going to do about it? You know what I mean? I'd like this brought up on down. It is. To the t or the or TVs or whoever, you know what I mean? To help these, oh, not just me, all these other people out there as well, you know, they're all waiting for answers. Yeah. You
0: know what I mean? And there's no answers coming round. Can you understand me? No, and it, and it's, I can understand 100% and everyone listening can understand why you're getting upset, you know what I mean? Because it's so personal, like, I, as I turn around and say if you, if someone was to say to Aunt Shop, Michal Martin dahl right, does he know his mother and father? Would he be able to say yes? Because I think he would. He'd be
1: able to say yes, but if somebody asked me about my mother and father, I don't know my mother and father. I only know my foster mother and she's this very old lady and I, only, I, mean, I was with, only with her for a few years anyway. I must mostly back and forth to the county home all the time. You know what I mean? And go and look up my own mother
0: which was a dead end. So I don't know. Maybe she passed away. I don't know what happened. But I do know she was chased away. And then was not near the babies or anything, You know. It's it's shocking to see and that the Irish government haven't brought comfort to yourself, Mary, and to all these people out there. That they haven't brought. E, the compensation we're talking about compensation like when you see Antísof Miha Martin read a piece of paper out in Dollar and it means nothing no. it means nothing coming from him no. he doesn't mean anything by it and this is the part where here on the podcast on Ryan's Real Irish podcast yeah. we are going to do everything we can to get this published to get it answers for you and all these people because at the end of the day you deserve answers and you serve them now at the end of the day, I'll be talking to James Lawless later on in the show, and I will be saying it to him. Like, are the Irish government, the Irish state, waiting until all these people, from the victims of the mother and baby's homes, are they waiting until they pass over that they don't have to hand out compensation or hand out answers, that they are in default?
1: I think so, Ryan. Because I'm my am I'm 76 years of age now. How many more years have I got left, like you know? So at the end of the day, it looks like that to me. Like they're not doing anything about it. They have to do something for these people out there. Not just me. All these other people out. All these other victims out there as well. And like I mean, we've got to pull together and just. Try and you know, sort, sort something out. that can mean and uh, set up something for us, the government. Yeah. the government. Set up
0: something for all these people. I've told myself. Uh, has to, there has to. There has to be answers, and yeah. I will pray every night that you all get them answers that you just yeah. rightly deserve. Yeah. And you get to find this information out about parents and things like that. There because. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, I wouldn't like having to grow up in like that, you know what I mean, being yeah, stripped around. Yes,
1: grow up like that because you don't really know who you are. You don't know who you are, you don't know. your no parents, whatever so you don't know who you are. Past mother's very good, I must admit, and I was very good, my foster mother was, was very old. Yeah. So she was in bad health a lot of the time, so mostly I really was in the up the county home all the years, in and out, in and out,
0: type of thing. Losing out of my education and everything, you understand? And in the county homes, these county homes, as you received the report, and thankfully you passed the report on to me to have a read, so I can yes. find out information about the whole situation before coming on to the podcast. Yeah. I find just personally, I read the whole report from the first word to the last word on that report, and I presume you did the same yourself. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest. It's pretty sketchy. There is information left out of that report.
1: There's a lot of information left out in that report. Uh, they didn't put it in half the stuff in that report. I'm not happy with that report, Ryan. They didn't put in, like, the women out there know that that report isn't, isn't uh, satisfactory. Let's put it like that. For the pure and simple reason, they left out a lot a of, of stuff. That they knew, but, but they didn't put it in the, the, the commission report. You know what I mean? So, like, I mean, they have... Sketches here and sketch there, one thing and the rest. But not, not. They're not telling the read
0: facts. Yeah. They understand me, right? You know, really, really, what happened. You know. Yeah, it's it's very noticeable because as I was reading it, like, you read one or two paragraphs and stuff like that, but then there'd be, you'd find that there was something else that was meant to be in there but wasn't in that yeah. paragraph. Yes. And like, I think that it's time for the Irish state to hold their hands up and say they were in the wrong as well as county council because the county council at the time had played a key role in these county homes. Yes, all county councils and all the counties played a key role in all them uh, them county homes all
1: over Ireland, I do know that for a fact, I don't know I certainly Clare County Council did at the time anyway and not alone Clare County Council probably every county council in Ireland, but they had
0: a lot to do with The state and the county council had a lot to do with it. That's the way I look now. Right it right is. There. other had a lot, and as we know from loads of other things as well going on with the government, like, they like to the keep things hush-hush, yeah. because yeah. It's, and it's, it's traumatic. Like, with such a personal effect on someone, oh, yes. and, like, these, as we all know, with mental health and things like that, and I'm not drifting off the talk with mother and baby homes, but it's something to do with that. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, this it played an effect. It stays on your mind. Like, you wake up probably every morning, kind of wondering who you are and do you have brothers and sisters out yeah. there that you could connect to? Yeah, yeah, you do. I do.
1: Right, like uh, I, I could meet brother, I, I could meet them on the street. I wouldn't know them, you know, that type of thing. That's how sad it is. It's a, it's a, sad, it's a very sad situation, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I've always said, like, because I was um, fostered, like, anyone I, I, I say, have your brothers and sisters, I'd always say, no, but that, that I, I don't know.
0: If you do or not.
1: I'd only pass them over, that person, say, oh, no, I'm just an only child or something like that, like, you know, which. I grew up an only you child. You grew up an only child? I grew up, only up an child. only child. I grew up with a very old woman and that was it like, you know, and um, uh, I don't know how uh, to look here. I'd just like the government to do something for the other people out there, the men and women out there in the same situation that I'm in and uh, you just don't know who you are and I'd like them to just to like, I mean. They've been talking about doing this and doing that and doing everything, but they've really done nothing. being honest about it, you know. Yeah. You know, they have to compensate these people. Well, of course. I don't do the day, At the end of the day, it's all down to compensation and money, but at the end of the day, they're not doing anything about
0: it. No. You know? I As think. I turned around and said, right, like with these older generations, and obviously, like. Some of their parents may have passed, but no one knows, honestly. Of you know what I mean? Because of the age, the yeah. years there. Yeah. And as I turned and said, you can't take back someone's life. Mm. But the Irish state and the government, the three parties, Fianna Fáil, uh, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and the Green Party, have to sit at a table and st- get their heads out of their backsides yeah. Yeah. and realize that not everything's about COVID, blaming everything on COVID. These people yeah. that got affected by these mother and baby homes right. need proper help and support, maybe right. a bit of counselling, all for free counselling, to for these people to go and talk about that. Because it's very a lot to keep to yourself. And they need to be compensated for the time they lost and their loss of identity. That's true, that's true. And the loss of identity, yes. Because that's what it is. At the end of the day, nowadays, if someone is born, a baby is born, the name is given of the both parents, obviously on the birth cert, yes. and then that's been that's kept on a filing system. Yes. How come, that how come the governments weren't doing that at the time of that? You know what I mean? Where is, was there money in fault? Because potentially I think there was money in fault. They were making money I from it. there was
1: money in fault. I don't know what way it worked in them days, uh, because uh, my memory so I'm going now back to the 1940s. I think they did get paid by, um, I don't know, the states or the councils or something. There was money coming from somewhere to take these babies and foster them out, you know. As I do know there would have been money involved. Now I didn't send in the commission about that report about that of course. Yeah,
0: of course to of keep course. it a secret. that is another
1: thing that didn't come up and like you know. And um, of course my babies died too, you know. Yeah. June babies and all that, like you know. I mean, I probably was one of the lucky ones, but mm-hmm. look around, it's just. Uh, Ah, it's a situation that has to be kind of judged, with, you know what I mean, before we all pass away, that's another yeah. thing too, because there's people older than me, like I'm 76, the people out there in their 80s and 90s and they've never got any answers either, and they deserve, they deserve, they deserve answers. I don't do. Understand me, Ryan, before.
0: They pass away.
1: Before they pass away, from the government.
0: And yeah. You know? Like, it is. It's it's shocking and it's a disgrace to see these poor people that's left out there, not truly knowing who they are.
1: That's my situation, um, Ryan, I've had my situation all my life, you know, and um, I know my birth mother went, would be well passed away and well gone by now, but the thing about it is not ever known her. And the state kind of pushing her away from me altogether, like you know, taking taking me me as a baby apart, and sending her on her way. And you know, this is so, and not just me, all the other women out there
0: as well. Yes, I, I'm sure. But as true. I turn as I turn around and said, even if your mother unfortunately passed away and stuff, but at least if you knew her name exactly. and you knew where she was buried, yes, at least you get comfort. That, that'd be some comfort, that you went yeah. to your grave knowing you knew that you found out your mother's name.
1: That's true, because when I was looking for her that time through the social services um, up into there and there, that's really what I was looking for, just a grave that I could go and put flowers on and say a prayer, you know. Yeah. But, like... I have been through all this, for I went through this for years and years with the social services and they did have the best way to come, but they just did not come up from with any answers to me, you know, not even a grave, that you could go and say a prayer and say, well that's my mother's grave, like, you know, yeah. I can put a few flowers on or something, but even that I could, I can't, I'm, I'm deprived of even of that, you know, right?
0: It is, it's, it's like, you know what I mean, I feel awful, so I do that, mm-hmm. as, you know what I mean? There's so many people out there, including yourself, Mary, that has these. Is this big oh. thing hanging over them, not being able to go and visit their loved ones. Yeah. And like to walk past, as I said, young people these days, teenagers these days, don't realise how lucky they actually have it, how we have it. Yeah. For the simplest fact is because we know who our parents is yeah. and we know our brothers and sisters and stuff like that there. Yeah. And as I turn around and say to you, Mary... Yeah. Me and the team of my podcast is going to do everything to make sure you and all those people from the mother and baby homes get the answers you deserve. So we will. And if we have to go knocking on politicians' doors, ringing their phones out, and sending email after email and spending half the night doing it, we'll do until we get answers for you because the end of the day. It's a podcast and it's through politics and things like that there. As I said, James Lawless will be coming up a bit later on in the show to talk to me. And I will be asking about this. And I'll be saying it to him. When are these people going to get the answers they deserve? Even a grave that they can go and visit to put a bit of flowers on.
1: Because
0: obviously there has, to be, there has to be a piece of paper out right there somewhere that links you to your mother's name. There has to be a document out there somewhere that has there has to be yeah. you know I mean and just one last question maybe before you finish up because I know it's a very hard topic to talk about and I want to say a huge thank you and you're very brave yeah. for coming out to talk about this yeah. and if anyone is listening in that is, has, was in these mother and baby homes with you yeah. is going to respect you for coming out to talk about this yeah. because it is a very hard thing and apparently I don't think I'd come on to a podcast and talk about it so yeah. we want to truly thank you so we do but one last question is, like, when you were you were born in Ennis, you said, wasn't it, in County yes, Clare? Yeah, you
1: know, County Home
0: and Ennis. County Home and Ennis. Yeah. And then was there just, like, the birth certs we have nowadays and stuff, was there no bird cert, like, at all? Did you go looking a bird cert? I
1: go looking for a birth cert back a good few years ago, and I don't know the reason I went not look for it. It's probably because... Uh, trying to find my mother at the time and that. I think I started off with the birth cert, but they did produce the birth cert from the county home and the it's all right. It's on the birth I have my birth cert, that's one thing I have, which a lot of people out there, God love them, haven't got birth certs, you know? Yes. Yeah. They're looking for their birth cert, but I did get it because I had to find out. The extraordinary thing about the birth cert was, she gave me the same name, she gave me the same name as herself. We both have the same names. <laughs> which I thought it was very, very extraordinary, <laughs> yeah. very extraordinary of a burglar. yeah They both had the same names, G- name was, like my name was Mary Kelly, her name was Mary Kelly, which I thought was so, and even to the present day I find it very strange.
0: Yeah, you know, it is. How, how they could uh,
1: give it I uh, presume I would baptise in that and whatever. Yeah. No, no, because the same name anyway but there's no father's name naturally there's no father's name on it oh gee, yeah but i did i did
0: have to go looking for that
1: person part to try
0: find my mother through the sources. At, yeah at the time you know what i mean Ryan. yeah at that time, the time and so. if you if i was just, if you had got the chance right we don't know if tv's are going to be listening If james not coming on or yeah. but if you could say one thing to the government if the government were listening, or Auntie Shock, Mihal Martin, was listening now, what would you say to him? I would say
1: to Micheal Martin, please look after the, these, these men and women out there that are born in these um, county homes, or most of them are babies' homes. Please look after them and don't ignore them, because they, they've suffered for years and years. They don't know, lot like of them out there, just don't know even who they are. And I don't know whether they have brothers or sisters or anything out there. So they want to be looked attacked, really, you know what I mean? Set up some kind of a fund for us, you know what I mean? Yeah. Do something for us. Just don't ignore us, you know what I mean? This has been going on for months and months. There's nothing, even the commission report there. ever the stuff is not in the commission report. You know what I mean? That's what I said to the government, uh, Ryan. Because yeah, they haven't. kind of have
0: ignored us, and they don't bother about do us. Oh, they have, and that's for sure. Like when yeah. it all came out with her reading the document in air and he yeah. came up and made this address to that's the nation.
1: Just, that's just me ryan Just all the other men and women out there as well that
0: suffered like
1: I suffer.
0: Yeah, and they probably suffer more than us. You know what I'm saying? Oh, hundred yeah. percent. And yeah. Mary. I want to say a huge thank you for coming on to take your time out of your day to talk oh, about this serious topic. Yeah. And once again, as I said, anything me and the podcast can do, we are going to be forwarding this pair podcast onto our uh, to our Spotify platform uh, or all over social medias. We'll also be I'll also be sending this one especially to RTE, Virgin Media, and uh, radio stations. Joe Duffy to get this get your voice heard and get this community together of you and all these people that you can come together as a community and stand up to Dal and the government and get the answers used to serve as people. Okay. before it's too late. And I want to say have a great day, take care and thank keep running. All right, thank you. Well folks that was Mary Doran So it was talking about uh, The mother and baby home scandal She was affected by the mother and baby homes And it's so sad To hear such Disgusting things that had happened Like not knowing your true identity Not knowing who your mother is Not knowing your father And not knowing simply if you're brother and sisters Like these people could walk past their brothers and sisters Loads of times in the street And just wouldn't know who they are like it's just a joke folks that is the end of part 1 do keep coming back keep listening as I am joined next on part 2 by TD Fina James Lawless for an interview regarding a mother baby home scandal, insurance for young drivers, rent and accommodation and mental health thank you
2: you're listening to Ryan's Real Irish Podcast why not follow us on our social media platforms Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok Terms and
0: conditions may apply. Hello folks and welcome back to part two of Ryan's Rail Irish Podcast. What a day it is. Well, the rain down here in County Clare is a bit bad, but sure, look, we have to live with that. We're in Ireland. I'm joined now by Fianna Fall TD, James Lawless. Good morning. Good morning to you, Lawless. How are you doing? Oh, James, shall say? Hi, Ryan. are you? How are you? How are you? Uh, so, James, obviously you're in the current government at the minute, you're in there with Miha martin and stuff like that there so i'm just going to ask you a couple of questions that i was sent in by a couple of listeners that they want answered from all right Right. so the first question i had on part one i was talking to a lovely woman mary Dorn. she was a victim of the mother and baby home scandal years ago and she asked me a serious question and she turned around and just wanted to know one thing Now they know she got the Commissioner report that was done out for all these people that the government looked into and things. But she wants to know and Michael Martin obviously read out that piece of paper out and it all to these people. But she wants to know there has been since COVID nineteen has come along, there's been nothing else said about this mother and baby home scandal and she wants to know what is the plans and when will they get the answers that they're looking from the Irish Government? Okay, yeah, good question. Okay, so hi, Mary, if you're
2: listening, and um, sorry to hear about your experiences, and I I, I can only begin to imagine um, the hardship that you you probably went through, and I'm not even going to ask what happened to you. I've heard so many stories that I I can, I suppose, guess and surmise, and um, I suppose we've all been, I suppose, upset uh, to to hear many of the stories that people have gone through the homes, and whether somebody gave birth in a home or or was born in a home um, are the different situations. Um, This was new to me. In a sense, and uh, the first I heard about the report and all that coming out, I knew there was a commission working on way, But when this came to the door last November, um, really when it came to the floor, of the door, was the first I, I sort of knew about the commission's report of what it said. I haven't seen the report; um, I think it's too confidential. But I've seen obviously the highlights. Um, I'm not in. I, I'm a member of the government party, but I'm not in government research. I don't sit at the cabinet table, so I'm, I'm a TD and I chair the Justice Committee, and I, I have responsibilities that way. But I wouldn't be in the Department of Children or wouldn't necessarily know what they're doing. But um, what I do know is that one of the things that I brought up at the time, and a lot of us brought up at the time, was that the survivors are the people that went through the homes, uh, need to be able to get their records, need to be able to get their information. There's been some progress made in that. Um, the latest, I believe, is that people are being told now when they go to look for the records that they need to have a GP available to advise them, um, which is a kind of paternalistic approach. I think uh, it goes back to health access regulations, which was a data protection law passed in I think it's 1989, so it's quite outdated. Um, and I've said to the state that really they need to get past that um, and figure out a way to make this available. The department then said, well, maybe a freedom of information request could do the job, but again, it's putting a barrier in terms of getting the information that people be able to get as right. So the minister is now putting through uh, the Tracing and Information Bill, which is a piece of legislation which is being layered on top of all the existing data protection, uh, etc. laws, to just, I suppose, clear the way. To get their records, um, and I'm told that's coming through in this term, which is now, which, which means between now and Christmas. Um, and I really hope it will. And I certainly be supporting it strongly because I have been helping a few survivors to get that information. Uh, and as I mentioned, there's a few barriers that they're coming up against. But if that legislation goes through, um, I hope it'll clear the way. And I'd like to see, I suppose, a kind of an online system, even. A, a, Kind of system people could do research themselves, whilst still respecting and privacy and 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 confidentiality. Um, but to make it as easy as possible uh, for people to get that data, rather than having to fill in hundreds of forms and go through solicitors and everything, you know, I, I hope to make it um as straightforward as possible. So, hopefully, that's um some answer to to Mary.
0: Yeah, because it's like when I was interviewing her, and I have to have interviewed loads of people, and being a young person growing up, it was sad to see that that's what had happened back then. You know what I mean and she heard the only wish she wants is that even if she had a grave because obviously the age gap and stuff there now that her mother wouldn't still be alive that even if she had a grave to go and visit to put lay flowers on her mother's grave and to be honest with you personally I don't think that's a lot to ask for from someone is that they even just get comfort you know what I mean because she feels that the, and I personally feel myself that the people that are in charge of this the Irish government because they do play a key role in this at the time, they were the ones who started this and with the county councillors and stuff. And I just think compensation and giving these people the answers instead of just dusting it off under the mat until these people pass away, that they don't have to deal with the problem, that they don't have to go and work to find these answers, you know? But it is. But I hope to... And thank you for that summary for Mary. That's all she wanted to know because nothing else was said from the last time. And... Uh, So, uh, James, the World Health recommendations of funding for mental health is equivalent of 14%. That's how much each state is meant to put in. Information I found out that Ireland state is only roughly touching 6%. Like the real question is, where is this money going? Where's this other percentage going and what, what is it being spent on? Like the Irish government charge you the funding and stuff, where is that other percentage gone? Okay,
2: alright, so um, mental health is just as important as physical health, in my opinion, and it's something that people don't tend to talk about. So if you just see someone on the street with a crutch or, or in a plaster cast, you're going to say, Oh, did you have an accident or what happened to your arm or whatever. If someone's feeling blue, you might not say it to them, you might not know, and they might put on a brave face and look, we've all, I've had down days, we've all, you know, it's something that we all struggle with from time to time, uh, up days and down days, and it's something that um, really can get hold of you and it can be hard to get through it, and and sometimes you lose perspective on on maybe someone else might say, you're fine, you know, step out of it, but it's not that easy sometimes, and particularly if somebody has a particular condition, uh, and we know now there's a lot of different mental health illnesses that can be diagnosed and need support. I think COVID, to an extent, exacerbated that because people were home all day, and the social contact was reduced they didn't have the kind of chat in the shop or at the counter or the post office or down the town or whatever um, on the flip side people did get Time with families and maybe time out of the rat race. You know, if people are going to a job or going to Dublin or something every day. They've got a little bit of space maybe to spend in a garden or in, in, in a quiet space. Maybe if they have, have that at home. Um, but I do know that some people find it to be very black hole, particularly I think coming out of that spring and uh, coming into the sort of dark winter and the lockdown again for three months. Um, at that time, the TJOC, Neil Martin, did arrange for an extra 10 million to be put into mental health services in that lockdown, actually, particularly for that because people were couldn't access the normal counselling services and that, so he he, put, he made sure 10 million was put aside to cover sort of phone counselling and online counselling and those kind of services. On, on the bigger picture, in the 2021 budget, um, there was an increase of, of 50 million in the mental health budget, which which means it's now at 1.1 billion in um, mental health budget overall, which is quite a substantial sum of money. Um, there are more services required, there are more supports required. Um, there are 153 new staff coming on board for what we call community mental health services. Some of that would be things like CAMS programs, uh, telehealth, um, bereavement counselling can, can be really, really important. Um, we lost someone, someone in this family uh, in the last year. And, and a lot of families, again, during lockdown, it's been very difficult because you can't properly grieve, have funerals, etc. Right. And I know a few friends who I said to me, bereavement counselling really, really made a difference to them. Um, so again, that, that's provided within that budget. Um, and I suppose we, we need to keep doing that and more of that. And I imagine we'll see another increase again. Um, we're going into the budget now in, um, 14th of October, sorry, 12th of October, so only, only a couple of weeks away, um, and I, I think the Minister will be again looking to increase that. My colleague, James Brown, he's now a junior minister of justice, but he did a lot of work with this in opposition, and Fianna Fáil put forward, I think, what might have been the first ever mental health bill as a piece of legislation in the last all from opposition, and had it adopted by the government, so certainly something we're, we're aware of, um, and striving to approve.
0: To yeah, and I bring you back to the part there, James, where you mentioned about a... Uh, the increase of COVID or uh, the increase of sorry mental health when the COVID came to the shore of Ireland. Yep. I agree with you 100% like I was talking to Childline and they said that there was that increase there of young people calling their services when COVID hit because not seeing friends and stuff at school was a difficult time for us all, everybody and as I turned around and said but the COVID problem or the mental health problem and crisis was there even before the COVID came and then when the COVID came, mental health. Every I just personally found myself that everything was forgotten about by the Irish government. They're made at yeah, fair enough. It was a deadly virus. It was killing people. It was making people very sick. Our healthcare was under severe pressure, and yes, it was the first thing on the top of the priority list. But now that it's kind of it's COVID still there, but now that it's kind of dying down a bit, like and the country reopening gradually and slowly. I just think that with mental health, like. How many young people or or people of all ages have to go out and struggle alone and take their own lives for the government to realize that there's a serious crisis but instead of that, instead of like, there's other things that don't need as much money that's put into, that could be put into mental health and that's the plain simplest fact. Because mental health is, as you said, physical and mental health are both problems, you know what I mean? And like, there's not yeah. enough services, there are not enough counselors. The counselors that are working are under severe pressure and trying to get through the waiting lists. And so, but as you said yourself, the government are working and I can only speak from the outside look and the outside approach. I don't know, I don't work in them conditions as the government, I don't know how hard it is. So I'm not gonna, ch- you know what I mean? Come on here and brew bake is But all I'm saying is that just try, for young people and stuff, to get them services yeah. up and running because these people need them and they need them now, not in 10 or 15 years' time in a 10 15 awesome. year plan. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah. do. And yeah. It, Absolutely no, be, Yeah. No, but it is. It's true, you know. It's very hard. Yeah. Uh, like I've suffered myself plenty of times with mental health yeah. and things like that. I've ADHD and stuff. I work actually, I was in actually CAMS as well, so it was funny enough we heard you mention CAMS. They're a great right. bunch of people, yeah. so they are. Uh, but, James, can you tell me, is it fair that a middle-class person that gets up out of their bed at like 6, 7 o'clock in the morning to go and do a day's work and not come home till late that evening, and that someone who's sitting at home collecting all social benefits from a to social benefits earns more money than the person that's getting out of their bed at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning? Is that fair?
2: Well, we talk about, I suppose, the welfare gap or the incentive gap. Um, and actually, if we think about this discussion we've had so far, we talked about mother and baby homes, and we talked about mental health. And in both cases, we talked about compensation from the state, and we
1: talked about the state um, spending more money. Yeah. And the state spending more money
2: is taxpayers' money, so it has to come from somewhere. So if we want the person that's getting up early in the morning and going to work to pay less tax, we have to consider that the person that's availing of state support whatever that might be, maybe getting less. So so, you know, it all has to add up at the end of the day. So there isn't a bottomless pool of money. and um, the money has to come from somewhere. And I know we talked about them with the baby homes and they were an abomination and look at, it's it's horrific to think of them now in the current world, but and I wasn't around for them. I mean I'm not um thankfully old yeah. to that was a before my time, um, even as a child it was long before I was around. But the the state used to not do welfare of any kind. Um, that's why those kind of things happened, like the state, um, it was Erie Neve in, in the Labour government coming out of the war, Clement Attlee, um, that set up the welfare state. It was the first. It was a Labour government came to power. Churchill uh, was the wartime leader and then Labour came in and they reformed the state, working in the welfare state. For the first time, people were paid money to, to stay at home. Now, I wouldn't be as um, kind of pejorative as that, it's not really to stay at home, it's to support a family and to help children get to school. They might miss out on education, you know, to actually literally put food on the table. But that was a and, leap. And before that, um, there was things like workhouses, or like famine, support. Um, there was a thing called the uh, Cadestic district Board in Ireland in the late 1800s, where they kind of put people to work and sort of made up projects to give them some money. So now a lot of good came out of it, like there was piers, dams. Um, roads built and, and people were given a wage, almost like a fast scheme today, our, our community employment scheme, which actually, by the way, are really good schemes, and I, I think we need to see more of them. But as I suppose, flipping the question around, um, the, the reason I mentioned that there was a time when the state didn't intervene and didn't help people that needed help, and probably people got away paying much less tax taxes, but I don't think it was a good system. So I think that the challenge is, at the moment we have, I think, a relatively high rate of taxation, and yet a public service is still something to be desired so we need mm-hmm. to balance the books because if you go to the Nordic model people have talk about you know, Scandinavian countries where people pay very, pay very high taxes but they also get very high service so if you go into hospital yeah. you're seen straight away you know, if you go to counselling, like mental health supports there you know, education is very high standard and it's free that kind of stuff We and then if you go to the States well if you want to get into university it's a hundred grand before you pass GO you know, the first year yet you're paying low taxes and you can get out and pay taxes if you have a clever accountant yeah. so we seem to sort of be stuck in the middle and I think we need to get. We, we need to decide: do we want a low tax model with low public services, or do we want a high tax model with high public services? We kind of have an in between. Um, and it's about the match. So to answer your question, the person that gets up out of bed and goes out oh, and I was, that is me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i for that. I mean, I, I, I've always been commuting uh, from silence to Dublin for the last twenty years. It's apparently how we're going into politics: getting up, crack it dawn, getting on the train, yeah. going up to Dublin, doing my day's of work, coming back down again, going to community meetings often in the evening. And um, it is a long day.
0: Uh, that was part of my way to politics because I got a bit frustrated with commuting services and like, trains the, and the, que- the, the question the question is like and it's great and I understand politicians like you just get out of your bed way early in the morning I don't know how you do it. it's like those people out there yeah. my my mum there for example she's a healthcare worker community healthcare worker yeah. and yeah. She, like nurses and doctors in the front line in hospitals she worked yeah. and all them community healthcare workers worked and they're not seeing yeah. no thanks for from the Irish government like yeah. they be so, being
2: so the Yeah, so, I, so I, I'm a politician for the last uh, six years, but before that I, I worked in a regular job, like a regular POA job. So uh, when I talk about the last 20 years community, I don't necessarily mean as a politician. I mean as a regular person that got up, went to work pricing, at a yeah. job in Dublin. So I, I don't necessarily mean as a politician. Obviously, yeah. I still do it as a politician, but for a long, long time I just did it as a regular job. But um, there shouldn't be, I mean, someone that goes to work. The, the whole idea is that they should actually take on a little bit more than, than someone that doesn't. That doesn't. We now
0: we do want to support
2: people? We don't want people dying in the streets. Oh, yeah, uh, because no, you know, because because there's no funding mm-hmm. from the state. Um, but there should always be an incentive that the person that does more. Uh, look, you have to you have to take the genuine cases. So someone that's genuinely in hardship or genuinely in hard luck and really struggling to get out of a socio economic trap or poverty trap has to be yeah. given a hand out of that. Oh okay? yes. Yeah. But the person that maybe chooses to say, well, look at, hey, I'm an handy number here, and I can actually do quite well out of this, should be discouraged from that situation. And and there should always be an incentive to take a job. And things like the minimum wage and things like um, the rate of taxation should support that. So that work is supported and people are encouraged and people can have the opportunity to better themselves and further themselves by going to work and being paid to go to work. So I think um, certainly there should always be an incentive there. So when the person that goes to work um, and, and, and does a job and brings home a wage, Certainly, in theory, should be should be getting that that bit, that bit more than somebody who doesn't because um, it, it's, I think it's probably only fair to have that, that situation all that's being equal.
0: Yeah, and all right, and don't get me wrong. If anyone's listening, I don't mean to offend anyone. Like that, yes, if someone that's is right. if, if someone yeah. is genuinely struggling, that yes, the government should be there to help and support them. And if the genuine can't work, the government should support them and stuff like that. And if they're in a financial hole and things yeah I'm not that's like you no. Know I'm saying you know what I mean and I, if you pick me up I apologise but you know what I mean if that's the case right tax, you, taxes are high right and as you said to yourself which I was actually impressed because not many politicians would come out and say that well these people are paying high taxes but they're not seeing the public service back you go into a hospital with an injury you're there for a couple of hours half the night you know what I mean yeah. and no access to stuff and hope transfer that But the real question is, right, us, like the middle class people and people working and every citizen of Ireland has been taxed, right? But how come all these big funds and all these big companies, like isn't, they're not, what company is it that owes the Irish state a couple of million? Is it Apple, I think? Apple owes the Irish, Apple owes the Irish state a couple of million, And not and that's been going on a couple of months. How come the Irish government aren't going? Because if it's middle class people on a minimum wage is expected to pay their taxes, how come these big companies and building constructions and the whole lot all these big heads in Ireland aren't being made pay their fair share? And landlords. Like the landlords got a tax break in the doll from me Hall Martin in the last the other meeting he gives them a tax break, the landlords, when they're on serious money and they don't do anything. They're, with accommodation, for example, we know, especially here in Kildare, accommodation is high because we're so close to Dublin. Yeah. And the houses, the apartments and stuff that these people are living in, if something breaks, these landlords, I'm not saying for all landlords, some, you get the good landlords, but there's that percentage there of landlords that don't bother fixing the property. And these people are expected to pay these high rents of 1,000, 2,000 euro a go. Like, and how is this fair? And how are these landlords getting away with it? By the Irish government. The Irish government should be moving in, instead of giving them a tax break, there should be increasing the tax on them because they're taking in serious cash. Like my landlord that I, we used to live in in Clane, we moved house currently, but we used to live in an apartment in Clane. And he had three apartments in that area and he was living over in America. And I'd say he okay. wasn't even paying tax to the Irish state. Like, you know what I mean? So it's one rule for the middle class, working people in Ireland, and then it's one rule for all these big landlords and things like and junior ministers as well. They're, the amount of money junior ministers are getting paid is ridiculous, if I'm being honest. Like, you know okay, what I mean? So, do you want me to answer any of points? Sorry. Yeah, no, no, I sorry, work don't... away. Sorry, work away. I'll, I cool down here so for a second, James. You,
2: you've made quite a number of points there. And I'm going to try to answer each one in turn. So, first of all, let's just recap. We've got the Apple tax. We've got residential investors. We've got taxation of landlords, and I think the last point was about junior ministers. Is that right? Yeah. So, so let's take it one in turn. Okay. So, let's take the Apple tax. Okay. So, the Apple tax decision was uh, the European Union uh, Commissioner Vestager, said that Ireland was owed a sum of money. It was it was billions, actually. Uh, from back taxes going back to 1970 or something because Apple according to her calculations hadn't fully paid the corporation tax that they were supposed to be paying Okay. now the Irish government decided to appeal that and you might say oh that's crazy giving back money All right. but the way the Irish government looked on it and I asked a lot of questions at the time and, and I wasn't in government uh, my party wasn't in government at the time but I was involved in the debate and I certainly asked lots of questions and it was in the dog and it was me my own contributions so what the Irish government will say first of all Uh, The European Union is on a mission to get Ireland's corporate tax rate up, because we have an economic advantage over other European states, right? Mm -hmm. So if an American multinational, it could be any one of the big tech firms, or it could be a manufacturing firm, or a science firm, or biosciences, or whatever, want to come to Europe, which most of them do, because they want to have a footprint within the EU, a lot of them are tractors of Ireland because we've got an educated workforce, thanks to being involved free education in the 60s and Don O'Malley and a masculine on that. But we have a very educated workforce, and thanks to people that actually went off and studied and worked. We have a very educated workforce, lots of engineering, science, tech skills here. We speak English. We're in the European Union, and unlike Boris and boys, we're not leaving anytime soon. So there is a good reason to be here, but also, we have a very competitive tax rate of 12.5% corporation tax, which is a real economic advantage. That's under attack. France doesn't like it. Germany doesn't like it. A lot of EU states don't like it, okay? So they're coming after us. And Britain, to an extent, was an ally when it was in the EU, but Britain aren't there anymore. Britain have gone, okay? So we're on our own. We're the only English-speaking country left. And the big players in the EU are coming out to Ireland saying, you guys, you're not, you've had a good for a long time, you've had a lot of investment, you've all the tech firms in Dublin, you have them in there. we have Intel up the road, we have HP up the no. road, we have Pfizer and Newbridge, etc. providing a lot of employment, a lot of jobs, a lot of money being spent both directly and indirectly in the local economy, be it services that they purchase and the wage packets that they give to people who go out and shop and spend in the local economy and all the jobs they create. They want some of that action, and they want to get it back to Europe. And I'm back to the mainland. So they're coming after us, and our tax rate is under tax So what the government said is, you don't get to decide who pays what tax is here. You don't get to decide what our tax rate is because they are ultimately trying to say we're going to set your tax rates. And they said, no, no, we'll set our own tax rates. Thanks very much. And our revenue commissioners. And if there's anything wrong or anything owed or underpaid, we'll sort that out. Not you. Okay. So that's what they said to Europe, and that's what the route was about. So it's about tax sovereignty. Okay. So we hear a lot of discussion about sovereignty. You know, with, with, with kind of. Is the nation-state still an entity? Are we in a federal system, etc.? We are a sovereign republic. Okay, we're part of the European Union. We're very happy to be, proud to be so. We control our own tax affairs, and we have fiscal sovereignty. So that was the, that. argument was actually about sovereignty. Okay, So that's that point. The other thing I'd say is, if we had... So that's the first thing, it's about sovereignty, and about yeah. homeland attack from, from Europe, in a competitive sense. We're they're friends and allies, but, you know, there is business. You know, they want some of the jobs that we're creating. The other thing is that uh, for every Apple, for every Intel, for every... Uh, Microsoft, every Pfizer, that comes into Ireland, so thousands of jobs. That all feeds into thousands of wage packets. That thousands of homes with an, with a, somebody coming home on a Friday with with a with a wage packet or at the end of the month. That's a mortgage being paid. It's it's you know children going to school. You know the whole family is basically, uh, I suppose, benefiting from from that employment. And if you go out to the west, um, where we have had some in investment, not as much as we would have in the east coast and around the Dublin area, they're crying out. Like I, I met recently with some local representatives in some of the west counties and they're saying we just we just want we if each county could get a couple of nationals you know to come in set up broadband you know to get the broadband etc set up it would be such a big difference to the local yeah. economy so if we sort of start to say to those guys well oh yeah you know what um we're actually going to come at for tax from now on and we're going to go really heavy on you and we're going to play our ball and um, you could actually lose a lot more than you might gain so you might get some money back in taxes but the next time they make an investment decision, when it's Arizona versus Israel versus Leakslip, guess what, Leakslip doesn't get it anymore And suddenly it's gone to Israel, it's gone to Tel Aviv, or you know, it's gone to Singapore. And yeah. Ireland's not in the mix. So that's, that's the Apple tax rule. Now, people might agree or disagree, but that's the, the, the logic there. The next point was on, sorry. Um, so I think we were talking about the tax break for landlords. I think so. First of all, there's no tax break for residential landlords. So for ordinary joes um, that are renting, maybe property, maybe accidental landlords, or maybe one place or two places, even, um, they pay POA tax, so whatever income tax they get, they pay after that. So it's actually not. There's not much fun, you know. There's as an ordinary person, being a landlord, there's not much in it. And actually, it's something the government might have to tackle because people are leaving the market. Chief, there was a recent survey from either DACT or one of the um, one of the local, one of the kind of sorry, one of the national uh, estates agencies that provide other yeah. service. So people are leaving the market two to one. There's more people, for every one person that buys a rental property, two more people are selling and getting out because the tax is actually through the roof for a normal person. I'm not talking about a fund or a bank. I'm talking about a normal person that tries to rent it. So um, there's, there's, there's no tax breaks there. What I think you're probably referring to is there was a controversial uh, move to exempt certain funds from uh, paying the higher rate of, couple, uh, of stamp duty um, so with the moment someone buys a home, I think it's 1% stamp duty in residential uh, property. There was a move to increase that to 10% stamp duty for a fund. So like if a hedge fund comes in to buy it, or you know one of these, what we call REITs, the residential uh, investment entities, they're kind of like vehicles for big uh, share funds. If they bought a property, tax, stamp duty was increased from 1% to 10%. So it makes it more expensive for them to buy it, and they're going yeah. to get more money in tax and things about services. That was increased from 1% to 10%. Now, there was an exemption allowed for funds that were already in the process of building social homes, so for yeah. funds that might have invested in Claim, or Sands or whatever, and been in the process of saying, well, we're gonna actually fund the construction of a hundred social homes, or whatever, in this estate. In the next 12 months, they were, they were allowed, because they said, well, hang on a second, guys, guys, hang on, we've we thrown all this money into this project, and we've got a project manager, and we've got the whole thing the builder signed up, and you guys are suddenly changing the rules before we even put a shovel on the ground. So they said, okay, there's, there's a one year extension, those particular uh, categories where there's a fund investing in social housing and it's about to get started, they said, okay, you guys get one extra year on, on the old, deal, okay, on the old rates, okay, but, you know, yeah. once the year's up, that, you're back there. So that's that one. And then the last thing I think was about the, um, the junior ministers. Yeah, look, at, I, I I mean, I'm not a junior minister, by the way, so I don't I don't get whatever side they get.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think that, look, at, I probably made more money when I was... Out of politics than I do in politics. Okay, um, that's just a personal thing. Okay, everyone has different reasons. If you went into politics for money, it would not be a good move
2: because the hours that you do—if you are up to—you know—if you put the same—I energy, often say—if you put the same energy into a business or into doing something else—if you—if money was your sole thing—you'd probably you'd probably make more, or probably have less hassle, and yes, you'd certainly have more time for your family and for yourself. You know, doing weekends yeah. than than you would in politics. Um, and I think really people should be measured on their output, not on their input. Now, I do think it was completely crazy the way the government um, gave that rise to junior ministers last year. I, I think they actually set out to do a good thing, but they made a hint as how they did it. The reason they did it was because there was three junior ministers, and one of them was going to get paid less than the other two, and there was a bit of talk about gender equality, because there was, I think, two of them were women and one was a man, and I think at the previous government, the woman at the table got paid less than the man at the table something like that so yeah they kind of i, I think of were well-meaning but i think they made an absent how they did it now they also by the way which nobody getting a credit for they took a 10 percent pay cut which is for the entire lifetime of the doll just just, uh, just say ireland the new uh, new zealand prime minister took a six six month temporary pay freeze and never thought she was a hero the irish government took a 10 percent pay cut for five years and nobody even knows about it so it's not always as black as it's painted but, but anyway that that's um but as I say, they made an answer to
0: of how they did it and how they communicated it, and I think probably they shouldn't have done it, but that's how it came about. Yeah. No, like, the New Zealand, as you were saying, the New Prime Minister, they take a pay cut, like, you know what I mean? But, as you said, no one knows about it, but it was never published, it was never come out, like, no TDs come out. The only, partially, at the time of the COVID and things like that, there, there was a pay rise given, I believe. Yeah. And yeah. there was a pay rise given to politicians of all parties, and the only people that i seen giving back the money was Sinn Féin, Deputy Mary Lou Macdonald, and a f- good few Sinn Féin TDs. I didn't see any from yeah. Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, our stuff, Green Party, Social Democrats. Now, yeah. there, it could be out there, I just didn't come across it. Yeah. And I'm
2: biased I, 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 on the I, I, podcast. I think, a so, I, I think that's a bit of a nonsense because, look, if they're a fair play to them, that's what they want to do. Personally, what I do, I support pretty much every cause going. So, um, like... Any group that comes to me, they come to me regularly all the time, um, looking for support for this, support for that. I, I, and Any kind of money that I get in, you know, I, I generally spend it back in the constituency. Um, the other thing I say about bit Fein, I don't want to get into party politics, but they're the richest party in the state. I mean, they got three million from some retired hermit in the UK that just happened to have three million in a will, like, two years ago. I mean, they have all this money coming
0: out of their ears. And they own most of their properties. They've got buildings all over the country. And Leo, they were, but that, uh, like, I'm, not, I'm not standing up here for Sinn Féin or anyone. than political well, parties. maybe they can afford to, you know, they have
2: lots
0: of other income sources that other politicians don't have. Oh yeah, 100%, and but as I turn have. around and said, like, the that's why I wanted to get involved in politics, and then when I looked yeah. more into it, to be honest with you, it's a, it's a joke the way that it's run, like the way everyone fights with each other and stuff like that there, instead of coming together, working together as people, to make the best country possible for the irish people yeah. and take all different views and points and stop letting like political beliefs and stuff come in the way of it but as i turn around and say yeah. like you know what i mean you say right yeah i did see that they got the three million fund from that will and things like that there right but like loads of other politicians are right there like leo for example he's a landlord owen murphy who was an xtd he was a landlord and I'd say there's a lot more in dollar and who are landlords and private investors. And that's Maybe. the, and as I turn around and said, the truth would always come out. You know what I mean? Of where, these, hmm. where this money's going missing and funding and stuff like that there, because the way, the way some people look at it is that they don't like the government. And I don't, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, it's not that I don't like, I don't like the government. But they are pe- people at the end of the day so I respect the people I respect the TDs, like yourself there. Why don't you like the government? What? Why, don't like the government? Why don't you like the government? Personally, I don't like the current government, for the simplest fact is because they talk about free healthcare and stuff like this here, but there's people out there with no medical cards, when everyone in Ireland should have a medical card, no matter of what wage they're taking in Okay, print let's
2: go back a minute okay so, so you're talking about universal health
0: access, free point of service right so, yeah. so everyone should have a medical card. yeah everyone should walk into a doctor's surgery or a hospital and use whatever medical services they want yeah yeah okay who's going to pay for that the government because in a few minutes ago you asked me a question about why do people have to work pay so much tax because they're going to have to pay a lot more tax if we do that so i'm not saying you're right or wrong i'm just saying we yeah, have no, to yeah. for every opposite reaction so that's a really radical system of proposing. I'm not necessarily saying I disagree with it, but yes. to do that, we have to have one hell of a tax uh, rate. So everyone going out in the morning, going to work, that we talked about a few minutes ago,
2: is going to pay a lot more. So like, if we're okay with that, you know, and, and just come back to the point about political beliefs and stuff as well. Like I actually get on pretty well with all my colleagues, and I chair the Justice Committee, and we have a very collaborative approach. And we, I don't differentiate between what partisan someone is, put their hand up in the speak. And we actually work together. We've produced four reports over the last uh, six months um, on really important topics um, like abuse online, cyberbullying, uh, victims coming into things like rape trials, how they can be better managed, uh, how the judges are appointed, um, the data protection, the GDPR. We did four reports and I did it collaboratively. But I don't see political beliefs as being a bad thing. Like, and, and sometimes conflict, you know, okay, personal uh, animosity is bad, but con- you know, a good debate can be good. I people yeah. should have beliefs and they should advocate for those beliefs and stand up for them because if they don't, what's the point of being there you know so I think that's what we want to know. door these kind of debates about do we want a universal health service free to point of service to anyone that needs it yeah if we do we pay really high taxes fine if, if that's what some people want to advocate for other groups might say well why don't we have a mixed economy where we have a medium tax rate and we have medical cards for people that satisfy a means test and, and have maybe a particular threshold but people that are earning a good wage don't get one. So so that's another view, you know, they're both valid. Yeah. Um, another view would be, say, no one gets a Medicare card, no one gets any service, and everyone has to pay for it, like in the United States. Now, I, I wouldn't subscribe to that, but again, some might. Um, so I guess there, there are three alternative positions,
0: you yeah. know, you, it's, and that's what people get to choose at election time. What, what You know, parties put their stuff going out and say, we stand for this, we stand for that, um, and people can vote for them, you know, and if they don't like it, they don't have to vote for them, so that's democracy. Yeah. And like the reason why that it's bringing you back to why I don't personally like the current government is Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and, but I'm not saying like, you know what I mean? It's just, I, I'm not saying that I love Shane or that. I, to be honest, I don't trust any, I don't trust any government and that's the gone sure. i I think there needs to be a whole new form of government. Like, I don't know how hard it is in the job, but the reason why I'd be like, I personally want and stuff is in any, I wouldn't vote for anyone. I wouldn't vote for anyone. I'd probably go independence if I'm being honest, just a full, because I was let down by the Irish state. When I was a young, okay. when I was a young fella growing up in Ireland, I was let down. I grew up with ADHD dyspraxia, and I'd say there's plenty more people out there. And I okay. actually tried to take my own life, and I because I was oh, God, waiting, man. I was waiting on a vital service. I was waiting on CAMS to get diagnosed and get proper counselling and help and support, and I had to wait months yeah. upon months for that. And that's one yeah, right. yeah, that's thing at hold against the government. Okay, okay. Yeah,
2: well, that's awful. Yeah.
0: When did when that happen? I don't know. It was just because there was the big demand on the waiting list at the time and stuff like that. There, that because yeah. uh, yeah. everyone obviously has to wait their turn for the waiting list. But as you were saying about the tax and things like that, there, you know what I mean. These people are paying tax, but we're not even seeing the proper services that were given like quick access to counseling, quick access to healthcare. You know what I mean? And I think I honestly think if the government was able to provide them better services in healthcare and cut down waiting lists and stuff, that people would actually not complain is about paying taxes. what? Sorry. I, I didn't
2: catch
0: the last yeah. thing if the government was what? Like if the government was to, you know, make that make this happen that these services are easy access, that the people paying get so, out of bed yeah. paying these yeah. taxes Actually, won't mind paying these taxes because they're getting better services back for them. But when you pay tax yeah. and you have to wait six or seven hours in the hospital for a cut and cut open leg, like you're just the yeah. first thing to do is blame the government. Like it's the government's fault because it technically is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think it'd be easier and people respect the government more if they they give back yeah. on that service. So. Yeah. No, I agree. There's been four different governments in the last 10 years, the government changes every couple of years, so yeah. it's not the same government, it's like, I, I know what you mean, that you blame the state as such. The state, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. it's just, I see poor these poor young people and they're struggling with mental health and not enough, there's far from enough, like there with the toll bridges and stuff when that was first introduced, that's well paid, that was the payback of debt to the EU, and that's I well know. paid back by now, that, that toll bridge. And the, yeah, it's more money coming in to the government, so I suppose it is fair. You mean? But all I'm saying is, and it, and it has happened, and this is just my view because everyone's entitled to their own view, and you might yeah. have your own opinion or few on this. But the way I look at it is, in Ireland, growing up in Ireland, as a young person, going on to college, whatever, to study in college, you're paying these high insurance, high accommodation stuff, but then also. Yeah you're not tanked for it in the future. Like when you get to the elderly age and your pension stuff, you're not thanked for working all your life. Like, and this is why a lot of people leave Ireland because the money's better somewhere else. You know what I mean? We're paying high tax, the minimum wage should be a bit higher than what it is. Because the big government's asking to pay reasonable tax, but they they, they don't think about it that these people have to pay tax and they're only on minimum wage to pay tax. They've obviously if the kids are home to have to provide for the kids, they have to look after the house, provide the electricity and stuff like that there, as well as pay high rents to these big private investors and big funds that the government are supporting. Because in my opinion, these go the government are supporting these big investment funds and letting these big investors come in and buy up all these houses Well I think we've been off that already because I think we've already talked about how the investment funds um and like let's be realistic about it i mean private landlords are not really the way forward okay because first of all they're leaving the market because they're not incentive because they pay tax at the top rate hmm.
2: uh, two they're not going to have the money to invest in properties they're not going to be able to fund big developments um, three the state is actually doing that anyway it's spending four billion a year for the next 10 years on building housing so i don't actually agree that all the money is going to big landlords I do agree that there's some money being taken out of the system to date and that large firms in any country will always find a way to spot loopholes, and I think that's happened before and we have to try and keep chasing them to try and close those loopholes. Um, I don't think, give, think the government is willing really to give them tax breaks. Uh, I think for the reasons I explained earlier that there was a couple of um, uh, funds allowed to continue, and, but let's be clear, the slamp duty for funds has gone from 1% to 10%, like that's a
0: 9% increase, just like this year. And that's something that we did. We're only in government twelve months. That's something we did in the first year. We've done that already. we have be doing a lot more. Darren Bryan, a housing minister, launched the housing for all plan uh, three weeks ago. I was up there with them. It's a really good plan. It's going to blow away. Um, but will we see will, see? will we see it being delivered? That's the question. Because well, it has happened also. plenty of it's times with politicians I mean, that they yeah, come out that's and, that's 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 and say, "We'll give you these. We're, we're going to build all these houses. We're going to make this service great," and nothing happens. Because at the end of the day, it's just them looking for votes sometimes. Coming up to elections, I'm talking about You know, for when coming up to elections, you see politicians come around and be like, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But you see none of it happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: so I I personally don't usually do that. I've been elected three times in a row. Um, I seem to have a good record. People seem to support me and thank you very much to those that do. Um, But one thing I never do is go around and say, I'll do this, I'll do that. I normally say, look what I've already done. And I, yeah. if I get the chance, I'll keep doing more of it. Um, and people thankfully have supported me in the past on that basis. Um, but in terms of will the housing strategy be delivered? Will other strategies be delivered? I'll, I don't have a crystal ball. So I suppose all yeah, I can say is I believe they will. I hope they will. And I will do everything I can to make sure they will. Um, and I think Dara Bryan is the same because we need it to succeed. We absolutely do. And yeah. um, if it doesn't, it won't be for the one to try. I, I suppose I put it that way. You know, yeah. who knows what could come up or obstacles. Like we didn't know about COVID. Like when, when, after the election last year we thought if we got into government we'd be building houses to meet demand we didn't know the whole sector and economy would be shut down for a year nobody knew that yeah. so it's got to you know the COVID. but you know things can happen i suppose like that but no i mean barring something that's exceptional that um, i think we will start to see delivery Right, I'm sorry to. I, I actually I was looking at the time. I, I originally was due to, to
0: hop into another meeting and have. Uh, I'm doing clinics this morning as well, just um, meeting people. I actually was supposed to be going at half 11 and I kind of ran over a bit, so we're, we're about to 12, so I might wrap it up if that's okay. Yeah, to that's, so no that's no funny. problem at all, James. I yeah, want to yeah. say a huge thank you for coming on to talk to us uh, on the Ryan Girl Irish podcast. And uh, all we ask you to do is just take this into consideration, take it to the government, and just make Ireland great and try to deliver on these houses. and make these people's lives just that bit easier in the mental health and stuff. And thank you Ryan for talking to me and it's been a pleasure talking to you. You're a very idealistic, uh, articulate <laughs> young man and
1: um, it was been a pleasure and I think there's going to be, I'm going to watch this space because I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot more of your, your good self uh, in the
2: future. So Can
0: thank you to you and your there.
2: listeners and it's a pleasure to be on the show and look, at, keep in touch and I'd be delighted to do it
0: again. if, if, you. if, if that for no okay, you.
2: No problem, thank
0: you So folks, what uh, an amazing busy day was here on Ryan's Real Irish Podcast and what two amazing guests I had on and first of all in the first part I had Miss Mary Dorn and who was on talking about how it it felt being part of the mother and baby home scandal and growing up not knowing her bare mother, not knowing her bare father and plain and simply not knowing if she had any loved ones out there who still may be alive or even if she didn't even have a grave to visit. Her mother, but I, me, and the team here at Ryan's Rail Irish podcast would like to say to all those victims out there, like Mary, to keep strong, have hope in your heart, and we'll pray every night that you get the answers that you are entitled to and you deserve, and just to bring comfort to your heart because in life we all know life can show obstacles in our way and some of them are more serious than others and that there is an obstacle that was just a bad out fault on the Irish state's hands at the time and it's still on their hands and they're the ones to hold reliable for that for the loss of information of splitting off families, brothers and sisters and letting them go all different parts across the island of Ireland so we do hope and we'll pray that you get the comfort that you're looking for all these years. And we hope that Mary we'd like to thank Mary for taking her time out to come on and talk to us on the podcast about such an horrific, serious situation. And we'd like to say well done to Mary. She was very brave, she pulled the whole way through, and she should be very proud of herself. And Everyone that was listening may be a part of that scandal should be very proud of Mary as well for standing up in user corner and getting trying to get answers for you. And we hope by interviewing these TDs and stuff like James Lawless that you may get answers and that she's been looking for for all these years. Then, folks, on part two, we had TD Fiendfall James Lawless who joined in for an interview and a bit of a debate, should I say. At times, he got a bit. Uh, I wouldn't say hot-headed, but it was a good interview, just questions and different points of views and things. In life, that's the way it goes. If we're all to agree and believe in the same thing, wouldn't this world be a very boring place to live in if people didn't have different views and opinions on certain problems and situations? But here on Ryan's Rail Irish, and myself as being the host and the producer of this podcast, all I ask is... If any TDs are listening to me right now and listening to the likes of Mary and all my guests like Chyline and just listen to the people of Ireland. Listen to these charities. Listen to the young people. Listen to the elderly people. Listen to the middle class people. Listen to the nurses and doctors. Listen to the counsellors. Listen to them all and get all their points and views and try to make their life that bit easier because I see with my own parents here, hard working parents, going out, getting up there to bed at six, seven o'clock in the morning to go and do a full day's work. And may not be arriving in their door until evening time. And I know there's plenty of others out there in that situation and that scenario, who have no choice to get up and go to work to provide for their family and earn a living. And then they're criticized for working. And that's the truth, they're criticized for working. The taxman comes looking the money. They're asked to pay high tax on the high high taxes. Then on top of paying high rents because the landlords have been allowed away of paying high rents. Y- you know what I mean? It's a world of unfairness, and it needs to change, and it needs to change now before it gets any worse. And that's if there's TDs listen. That's my main message to you is listen to all these people, and come up with a solution. To make their lives that bit easier. Because at the end of the day, everyone just wants an easier life. So it is, because I know first, I know I do, so I do. Well, folks, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you once again for taking the time out to listen here in on Ryan's Rail Irish podcast. You have showed me loads of support these past couple of months, from the very first episode to the recent episode. From liking, sharing it on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, the whole shebang. I wanna say you're true legends and you're also heroes in my eyes. Because you're making my dream come true. And as long as I have you by my side, supporting me every step of the way by sharing it, sending it to friends and family members, get me more listeners, the podcast will be here to stay. And I will deliver High quality interviews with serious people and anything you just want within reason. Now, within reason, well, folks, govern Mahogut always stay safe and remember to keep her lid. And one last thing before I go, I have decided that a competition is a good thing to get people involved here on the podcast to all my listeners. Okay, so the new way of the the new competition out on Ryan's Real Irish is plain and simple. So to get involved, this is what you have to do.
2: Competition time here at Ryan's Real Irish Podcast. You could be in with the chance of winning one of our cups, a handwritten message from Ryan and the opportunity to join Ryan on his next podcast episode. All you need to do is share Ryan's Real Irish Podcast on three forms of social media and tag us when you do. The lucky winner will be announced on Saturday at 6pm on Facebook Live. Good luck!
0: So, folks, that is all you have to do to be in with the chance of uh, winning one of my cups, uh, getting a handwritten message from me with a, a positive message on it, as well as getting to join me here on an episode to meet my guest and have a chat with my guest as well so that you're getting involved with the podcast. So all you have to do is share it on three forms of social media platforms or just share it on the one and tag us in it. And I will be announcing the winner on my Facebook Live at 6pm tomorrow evening. So folks, this is Ryan here. Overnight until next week where I'll be joined by special guest, Mr. Paul Conley. I'm looking forward to meeting Paul. Paul has worked with Netflix. He's a, a TV journalist. And he's been on some sides of the world. So I'll be looking forward to chatting with him uh, in next week's episode. Until then, Good. keep our lit, keep our country and stay safe.